Welcome to the Home Team Podcast. Welcome to the Home Team Sacramento Podcast. I'm Josh Takimoto. And today we have someone from our home team here in Sacramento. He's a former baseball player for Christian Brothers High School and Westmont College. And he is also the performance coach at Tread Athletics. Lucas Still, what's going on, man? How much, man? It's psyched to be on here, dude. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm I'm we've been following you for quite a while from when we, when I started off with character combine and doing the social media stuff there. And, and like we were kind of talking. We have common connections in Jason Harper, Kevin Bracey. I know I've met you before. Uh, it was probably, hey, man, how you doing? Nice to meet you as you were talking to one of those two guys. We've gone to a lot of the same events, but I'm excited, man, to actually talk to you and kind of pick your pick your brain, especially being a ball player and especially with all the crazy stuff you're doing right now in the baseball world, man. I'm just, I'm excited to talk to you. So, and you're from our home home team here in Sacramento, which is, you know, anytime, like we, we, we interview mostly people from here in our home team. Every once in a while, we'll go outside of that. And so anytime we have someone that, that grew up here, like it's just, it's a fun conversation for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I uh, spent most of my life in Sacramento. Love it yeah. there. Uh, we'll definitely probably make my way back there at some point nice. uh, currently in, in Charlotte. Um, loving it out here though as well, but yeah, we definitely probably met, you know, I was in, I think seventh or eighth grade when I went to the first character combine. I'm not sure yeah. if I met you there at evening of dreams or, you know, one of the times that, you know, I got like Jason and Kevin to come to Christian brothers for that, uh, that assembly. Um, yeah, but definitely at some point, definitely a lot of great things that, you know, it's been going on that you have kind of had your hand in and definitely just happy to be a part of it as well. And yeah, that's awesome, man. And I want to point this out too. I think this is the first time we're still a fairly new podcast. We're only, this will be episode 44, I think. And you are the second person we've had from Christian brothers or alumni from Christian brothers. We also had, and I don't know if you graduated with her, Kira McKechnie. Okay. And Kira was, I believe, a grade below me. Uh, but okay. She played softball. So yeah. kind of ran some similar circles and she was a stud. I think she, she go to Fresno State, I believe, or I think so. And then, and then UTEP after that, I think. Tra- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 She was a so, stud. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you guys both were, man. So we're lucky to have two people from ah. Christian Brothers hop on the podcast and, and both now doing great things. But, um, Anyways, man, like this is about you. So tell me a little bit about your athletic and coaching background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, man. So um, growing up, played all sports. And then once I got to high school, well, actually, that's not true. My freshman year, I, I last minute played freshman basketball, which is fun. Um, I was actually the most improved player. So basically, I sucked at the beginning and then sucked a little bit less at the end. Um, but kind of realized that my passion and, and kind of niche, we'll call it, was on the baseball field and decided to pursue that kind of full time starting my sophomore year. And, uh, you know, I had a good amount of success in high school, but I didn't have kind of the raw attributes to go to a power five school or to kind of get that major league attention. Uh, my fastball is probably 78 to 82 miles per hour, if that. Uh, and as you know, uh, you've got to be probably 90, 90 plus now to be a, right. a top recruit. Right. So I originally went to Willamette, actually, a, a division three up in Oregon. Played there my freshman year, uh, had a decent year performance-wise, but again was 78 to 82, and kind of had this realization that I could probably do that for another three years and 
have a good solid D3 career, hang my hat on it and be done. Or I could kind of give this whole velocity thing a shot, see what I can do and maybe actually get worse for a little bit as a result of it, but give myself a fighting chance at playing past college. So uh, my best friend, Steven Talbert, who's also a Christian Brothers alumni, and we played baseball there together. We kind of found this place called Driveline, which is up in Seattle. And they basically revolutionized baseball training. They were the first ones, at least I was aware of, that kind of successfully put together a program to develop velocity. Uh, when I was in high school and even younger, it was kind of the common thought was you either had the velocity or you did You could work on your command. You could work on your mechanics. You know, maybe as you got older, you could, you know, get a few takes here or there. But, you know, going from 80 to 95 is kind of unheard of. So we kind of started following driveline on social media for a while and kind of decided to pull the trigger and start kind of training remotely around 2014, 2015, right around my freshman year of college. And, you know, we started to see some uh, instant results. When I, when I went back for my sophomore year, I was sitting probably 82 to 85, touching like 86. Uh, and then I actually tore my quad, which is kind of a whole other story we have to get into. But right. as a result, I basically withdrew from Willamette uh, middle of my sophomore year, got a medical red shirt and was basically just like, all right, I'm going to get this healthy and I'm going to kind of continue on this path with driveline because I've seen some early results and see where it takes me. So that summer, Stephen and I got to go up to driveline uh, in Kent, Washington, right outside of Seattle and trained in person. And during that time, I got to 88. So it was continuing to kind of see that improvement on the mound and uh, came back and actually spent a year at Kasumas River College in Elk Grove, sure. um, where my velocity kind of fluctuated and I kind of had up and down success. And then from there is where I went to Westmont. And, you know, throughout my process, I got up to 91 miles per hour. So I actually saw some pretty significant velocity increase from where I started, um, but didn't really happen until kind of later in my career. Had a few injuries I was kind of dealing with and wasn't really having the success that I had in the field my freshman year and before that. Uh, so I kind of knew going into my senior year that that was going to be it and I wasn't going to play past that. But it was kind of perfect timing because a place in Sacramento called Awesome Athletes had just opened. And uh, three guys actually started it. Uh, Jeff Marquez, Ryan Matthews, and Casey Weathers. And Casey was one of the first pro athlete to train at driveline. So when Steven and I back, you know, even our 2014 era and we were following driveline, a lot of the early videos were Casey throwing, you know, hundred plus miles per hour on these running guns. And yeah, uh, yeah, he was, he was a first round draft pick back in the day and he went to Vanderbilt. So as you know, pretty, pretty solid sure. program to have there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of perfect because it was the first kind of facility in Northern California that was adopting the driveline kind of program. Uh, you know, we use a lot of the driveline equipment. Uh, it wasn't exactly the same step-by-step you know, -step program as driveline, but a lot of the same philosophies. Um, and just kind of once I graduated, just kind of rolled into a position there with working with local, mostly high school and co uh, collegiate athletes, basically kind of teaching them stuff that worked for me and helped me kind of see those VL increases. And was there for three years, about three years, two and a half, three years. And uh, then about a year ago, got the opportunity to come out here to tread and tread you know, I'm biased now because I work here, <clears throat> but if you would have asked me even a year and a half, two years ago, I probably would have told you that tread is in my opinion, top three facilities in the country that are, uh, training specifically pitchers, uh, for getting them better, uh, increasing velocity, increasing pitch repertoire, increasing, uh, you know, or limiting risk of injury and all of that good stuff. And so I had a few old guys that I trained with that were here, had been here, 
Um, and I loved a lot of the content that they were making. Uh, ben Brewster, the guy that runs Shred, he's super knowledgeable and has a ton of educational videos on pitching, strength, nutrition, anything you can think of that results in better performance. And so I was actually using a ton of their content for my own knowledge when I was coaching at, at, at OA. Uh, and when I got the opportunity to kind of work here, it was kind of like, oh, this is nothing that I thought was going to happen, but let's yeah. rock and roll with it. And it been out here almost a year now, and it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, and I love how, and you kind of just did it without even making a, a point to like <clears throat> emphasize it, but like, I love when we talk, because like our, our primary um, audience is high school coaches and athletes. And mm-hmm. one of the, the biggest challenges that I'm sure you've seen with some of your athletes or guys you played ball with is you do a lot of guys, because we know that there's such a small amount that make it to the D1 level and maybe, you know, beyond that, but there comes a point for every athlete, even guys. I mean, we just saw this right with like Buster Posey who uh, just retired last year. There's a, there is life after the game, whether you play in the majors or whether your career ends in high school and there's all that passion you have for the game. But at a certain point you're like, okay, what do I do now when you can't play anymore? What do I do? And it's cool to hear that you had an opportunity to keep, you know, keep close to the game that you love, but just do it in a different lane, not playing, but helping other people you know, get better and play the game that they love. So tell me a little bit about that transition. Was that, I mean, you made it seem easy, but was that an easy thing to, to do? Or was that like, was there like a period of struggle? Like, dang, like, I, I mean, like, this is who I was. Now I have to change who I, it almost feels like I had to change who I was to do this new thing. But like, how difficult was that for you? Yeah. You know, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't as difficult for me as uh, it has been for uh, some of my friends that have gone through a similar thing, just talking with them and their experience. And you know, I'll forever be grateful for Jeff, Casey, and Ryan for giving me the opportunity to transition right away. Like the second I was done in school, I was in, in there the next week. And I had this, there's one of the very first things I did because they were a new company at the time and they had a lot of knowledge and they were super smart on the training side of thing, but they didn't have the best kind of handle on social media as sure. uh, so they're kind of worried about getting their company off the ground and, and the actual Hey, the coaching aspect of it. And so when I came in, my original, I originally got hired as like, Hey, come do our social media stuff, like come film and, and all that. And just from my background playing and stuff, it kind of pretty much seamlessly transitioned almost right away into me doing video and content stuff and coaching. Uh, but one of the first things I did, we had this guy named Steve Pastora, who I believe is still an indie ball playing. And at the time he was a free agent and he had this goal. He'd been training with OA for a little bit. And his goal was to throw 95 miles per hour. And he threw this bullpen and I filmed it and he was, you know, 93, 93, 94, 94, 93. And on one of the last pitches, he hit 95 and everyone went crazy. And, you know, he went about his kind of post throw and his workout. And I just got on my computer and edited the video really quickly and was able to kind of show it to him. And he just had this such like gratitude when I showed it to him where he was just like, man, that's so cool. Like, thanks for doing that. And it kind of hit me where I was like, man, my three biggest passions, I'm kind of able to, seamlessly combine in one job here where I was, I'm able to help people because not only can I help coach them, I can also help them get seen just from the age we live in now. So many guys are recruited via video and via, uh, you know, Twitter even and, and flat ground app and all these different things. Um, so able to help people baseball, obviously was a big passion of mine and then being creative, being able to take videos and edit them together and you know, transitions and all that. So for me, honestly, the transition from playing to coaching wasn't that hard because I had such an, uh, an easy job in the sense of like, I didn't feel like I was at work. It felt like I was doing what I loved. Um, and then also, yeah, we would, we'd randomly you know, pick up a ball and throw and 
I think it's still on YouTube. We had a lot of like coach live IBs where we would throw to the guys. So I was still yeah. pitching a little bit here and there. Um, so I still got my fix as far as competing with baseball, but yeah, yeah it, it wasn't that hard for me. That's awesome. And like I said, I think that's good for other athletes to hear because there's other opportunities. You can still be close to your sport and just, you know, doing it in a different way. And so you can still be involved in that world. So I think it's important to realize that I know for some guys, like you mentioned, that's a really difficult mm -hmm. period of their life when they have to make that transition and they're doing everything they can not to, but you know, it's just, it's just kind of staring them in the face. So <laughs> I love hearing that. Now, that being said, something else that, you know, can sometimes lead them to that point of having to give up their sport is injury. And you touched on it a little bit. I, I saw it in my research that you tore your quad. That's not a, mm -hmm. that's not a small muscle. That's a big one. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about yeah. that. And then how, like, I always hear the biggest thing when it comes to a big injury, like that is the mental side of it. Like, how did you handle that mentally? Cause I know there's a lot of athletes that are probably listening. They're like, man, I'm going through something similar and it is driving me crazy. So like, how did you handle that? Yeah. You know, at the time, cause it was my sophomore year and I honestly, it wasn't the, the quad itself wasn't the hardest because I probably was a little egotistical at the time, probably a little naive. Uh, you know, I was kind of new to this drive on thing. I had just started seeing some velocity gains. And I just thought, man, like if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to be throwing 90 plus. I'm going to go to a D1. I'm going to get, you know, drafted. Like I'm seeing the gains already if it, if it keeps going. Like, so it happened. I was, it was the last week before my sophomore season started up in Oregon, January, uh, cold. And I was actually uh, two lane my sophomore year. So my freshman year was just a pitcher. My sophomore year coach just kind of let me try out to hit, uh, was not the best at fielding. So uh, they were basically like, Hey, you're going to start one of our games and you'll have an opportunity to DH, maybe pinch hit and some of the others. I'm like, all right, cool. So the last weekend before our season started, I threw, I think three innings in our inner squad, I uh, went and did kind of our post row, which included like some running, a little pitcher's workout. And then I sat down uh, and charted all the pitchers had to sit and, you know, you would do charts or, sure. you know, be on foul balls and uh, sat down for probably about 45 minutes to an hour in the 40 degree Oregon weather got cold. Uh, coach kind of realized I hadn't got any swings yet or any AB. So he told me to hop on deck. I was probably a little stiff, probably should have stretched out a little bit. Uh, guy in front of me got out in like two or three pitches. So I didn't have much time to warm up. I think it was the first pitch I saw was a curveball that I rolled over. Probably should have seen the pitch, but I'm running to first and it just popped. And <sighs> the next thing I knew, I, I was running, it popped. The next thing I knew, I was on the ground. Um, but what was weird is because it's it's the top, it's the rectus femoris, the top muscle of the quad, and it tore and bled internally. So this kind of filled up with blood. So there wasn't really like right now. I'm wearing sweats, but right now. If I flex my quad, you can see there's a divot. There's like a hole there. No, but way. when it, yeah, when it originally happened, because it kind of bled, there wasn't really a hole there that you could see. Sure. I, I could feel that something definitely wasn't right in there. But, you know, I went to the training room at the time. They ran me through a few tests. And me being, you know, I think any athlete will be on the field if you give them the opportunities. So, right. hey, do you want to sit out? Do you want to play? I'm like, I'll play through it. So I ended up, you know, pitching, I think, three or four games on it. And my dad flew out for, you know, the third or fourth game that year and saw the way I was moving on, on the mound. And I had told him when it originally happened, Hey, something might happen my leg today. So he's like, well, let me see your leg. And I showed him. And he's like, you maybe go to urgent care. And they're the ones that told me, Hey, it's probably torn. You should probably get it seen. And uh, so, yeah, at the time, that's when I, when I came home and uh, at the time, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to give Kaim a shout out because Kaim is as partner with OA. And sure. so they're awesome. They do all the, uh, UFC, uh, team alpha male stuff in Sacramento, they do the PT for them. And 
they're super knowledgeable and they're great. And, uh, you know, Tony and Evan and, and all the guys over there are, are really knowledgeable. And so I will argue that they're probably the best in Sac today, but at the time it was just results was definitely the, uh, heading away the best in Sacramento. And they're still very good. No, no dig on results. Sure. Um, <laughs> But I went to results for my quad and worked with Katie, Katie Norton. Katie was awesome. And I think I was with her for two or three months and, you know, slowly gradually got back to the point where I was able to run. Running was the biggest thing just because it's the top muscle. And so it's kind of driving me up. Uh, and I just, I knew that, Hey, once this is healthy, I'm going to get to go to drive line. And so that wasn't the hardest part. Honestly, I, uh, I ended up kind of messing up my tricep tendon and I'm, I'm pretty sure I have bone spurs back here now. Uh, but I did that my junior year and that was kind of one that, that stuck with me on and off to where I didn't really pitch, I think fully healthy my last two years, just cause I think I do have bone spurs back there. And so any time that I would really get through a pitch and really extend, uh, I would kind of like sh- shoot like a little zingy, uh, nervy kind of feeling down my arm. Right. And, you know, I, I feel like in, in the moment I'd be able to do it. And after a couple, I would kind of like short arm a few and miss and be, my command kind of got out of whack and, you know, some days I'd be able to throw upper eighties and then other days I was low eighties and it was just not really consistent. So that one was a little bit, I think more of a, of a mental warfare just cause it kind of lingered. Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really feel the effects of the torn quad once I got healthy as far as like pitching every day, but this was definitely something that uh, there was a few times after pitching in games or even like you know, throwing a bullpens where it was just so sore and bad. I'm like, I don't think I can throw for the rest of the week. So that one was definitely a little more taxing to the, to the mental side, man, injuries, injuries just suck. I got hit by a line drive in the funny bone when I was pitching. Mm. <laughs> that was like the worst thing. It, it just was, you know, just more embarrassing than anything. You go into the, we weren't sure what happens. You go into the emergency room. They're like, it is a bruise. Like calm down, like get him out of here. We got someone just, <laughs> that just got shot. He doesn't need to be here. But, yeah. uh, you know, when I hear some of these stories of in, or athletes getting injured, I'm like, man, it's just, it's gotta be the worst because you know, there's really nothing you can do about it. Like you said, most athletes are gonna be like, I'll play. I mean, you played three games on a torn, on a torn quad. So most people are like, yeah, I can, I'll figure it out. But at the end of the yeah. day, like at some point, something will need to be done and it's going to sideline you for a while. And it's just, it's a brutal thing. And I always hear people say exactly what you said. There's like a mental battle that goes on there and it's probably, it's probably the worst part of the whole thing. So, um, but the cool thing is now that you have that, all that knowledge, you went through that, even though it sucked, now you pass it on to anybody else who might go through that. And I'm sure that, that, I'm sure when you have a, an athlete, a young athlete that you get to work with, there isn't like, it's based on your story, man, there isn't too much that you haven't gone through where they can't come to you. And like, well, you don't know. It's like, well, actually I do look at my quad, put your, put your yeah. hand right there and feel that, <laughs> feel that divot. <laughs> yeah. So that's gotta be a cool thing. I'm sure a lot of the athletes that you work with respect that and kind of respect your story. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, even, especially right now at my, my job here at tread, we have such a wide variety of, of coaches that have played at different levels. Like some of my coworkers have played have a ton, uh, I was looking at, sorry, I'm not to interrupt you, but I was looking at the website. I'm like, where is Lucas on here? I was just like scrolling, yeah. scrolling, scrolling. I'm like, you guys have a ton of coaches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, not to give you like a full history lesson on tread, but they started yeah. in 2015 as a solely remote company. Uh, you know, Ben, Ben Brewster that started it. He was still trying to play and, and kind of similar to me, he was a, a slow mid seventies high school kid that had the dreams of, of playing at the next level. And so he, tested everything and researched everything and threw himself out there. And as a result, he trained himself to get up to mid to upper nineties. And, uh, he walked on it at Maryland and then he, I think he got drafted by the white Sox. And he played a few years of, in the minors and, and all that, but it literally, I believe, I believe it started as he was kind of posting his journey and his results and people started reaching out like, Hey, 
I have a kid that's also a slow throwing high school pitcher. Can you help him? Can you train him? And so almost had a necessity to start like writing these programs. And again, it started literally just him and his business partner, Cohen, and, and their apartment just writing remote programs. And I don't even think they got a facility because they opened in 2015. And I don't think they got their first facility till 2018. It was just solely remote before mm-hmm. them. Um, and even now, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say, but we have, we have a good amount of athletes, uh, definitely a lot more than they have when they started. And uh, I think 95% of our athletes are still remote. Uh, we have a phenomenal facility that we are definitely spoiled to have. It's 33,000 square feet. We have a 15 squat rack weight room we have kaiser machines we have trackmans and stalkers and any baseball tool you can think of is in there we have a turf area that's about 150 foot feet long so you can actually play catch inside wow. obviously not full long toss but sure we have every bell and whistle you can think of and we still have most of our athletes are remote um so anyway as a result of the tread kind of growing uh, they've been hiring a lot of people and you know even since I was hired, they've hired, I think six or so more coaches and there's more coming as we continue to grow, but there's a lot of different stories that come with that. Whether it's this guy that played independent baseball or this guy that didn't play past high school, but just like loved it and learned to become a good coach or this guy that played mining baseball for 10 years. And so there's a lot of experiences that we can draw on. Um, and you know, like one of the, the guy that got hired with me, Scott, I think he had two Tommy John surgeries throughout his playing career. And so if I have, like, I was fortunate enough never to have Tommy John surgery, but if I get an athlete that has, it's like, I can just turn right to Scott and he can kind of draw on his personal experience with that. So, uh, you know, I think I, I experienced a lot through my career, but just with the amount of people that we have there that had so many different stories, there isn't really something that someone can be kind of going through that not at least one of us has experienced. So that's definitely very helpful. That's huge. I I love that. And that's always a, uh, a big thing to have. You just, you know, even if you don't have the answer personally, you know, who does. And I think that's a huge asset for any program or any company. So I love that, man. Um, let me ask you this. Who's your, who's your favorite hitter and pitcher right now? Oh man. Favorite hitter and pitcher right now. Um, just in the majors. Ooh, yeah. We'll stick with the majors. I, I would love to know the okay. deep cut though. You guys don't, you have someone in the minors? Or college, or college uh, guy? I mean, I just got some, I got some, some buddies that, you know, kind of been part of their training and they're starting, they're, they're definitely kind of uh, climbing and just, I can't wait for those guys to succeed because they are getting better and they're right on the cusp of kind of breaking into the majors. So uh, give them a uh, shout yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Ferguson, uh, Kevin Gowdy, Austin Roberts, just a few guys that, uh, you know, I've gotten pretty close with and have been working at OA for a while. And to this day, I've still talked to quite a bit awesome. um, that, you know, Tyler Ferguson just got called to AAA a few yeah. weeks ago. So definitely love those guys and are you know pulling for those guys. And there's a bunch of others that, you know, can't name them all. Sure. But man, uh, you know, I'm a Giants fan. So yep. I definitely love Carlos Rodon. Um, but stunning. as far as I think if you are a pitching coach or someone that is teaching pitching, it is really tough to say anyone besides Jacob DeGrom because he might be the closest to like textbook, quote unquote, perfect mechanics yeah. uh, that we've kind of ever seen. So watching that guy throw is just a treat in and of itself. And uh, a lot of, a lot of kids will sometimes ask for, Hey, can I get like an MLB comp? And when I do MLB comps, almost always I'll do Jacob DeGrom and not because I think they throw like them, but because whatever it is that they're doing wrong, I know that Jake was probably doing right. I can just be like, Hey, do you see how like you have no hip shoulder separation here? Do you see that you're pushy with your arm? Look how Jacob DeGrom doesn't do that. And so I, I love watching that guy throw as far as 
hitters. Um, man, I don't know if I have a favorite hitter. I did love Buster Posey. Uh, I will say, so the guy I grew up loving was Tim Linsman. Obviously, he doesn't play anymore, but sure. being a Giants fan, I had a, a six-foot poster of him on my wall. Yeah, for sure. Um, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite hitter right now. I mean, my, I think Mike Trout might be one of the best hitters of all time, so it's tough to, to say him besides him. Um, you know, out, out here in Charlotte, the closest team is Atlanta. So I've been watching some Braves games. Um, I think Matt Olson's really – obviously, they, they miss Freddie Freeman. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> but I just like good baseball, man. It's just it, – yeah. it's you see there's so many talented guys out there. I think it's tough to kind of pick, pick just yeah. one. No, I get that for sure. No, I'm, I'm a huge Giants fan as well. I love Buster Posey. I'm a huge Mike Trout fan. My, I'm not going to lie, man. I hope this is okay to say. My wife gets nervous when I start talking about Buster Posey and Mike Trout too much. She's like, hey, she's like, hey, do I have something to be nervous about? Not, not unless I meet him. Then you might have something to be nervous about. But right now you're good. So she's like, ah, you're going to bring up Mike Trout again. Like, he hit another home run. I don't have to tell you. So, um, but no, we're, we're big. And that's funny. Actually, now we're, um, as we're recording, I'm keeping these updates about Aaron Judge too, because he's sitting at 60 right now. Um, mm-hmm. his, his ripped his first day back, he's ripped a double and they're like, ah, just a double, not a home run this time, not 61, yeah. which is a wild thing. Right. It's, this is something I kind of love about our generation. Just, you know, whether you love or hate social media, there's yeah. so many of these cool kind of smaller stories that come to light. I don't know if you saw, but there was, I think it was DD Gregorius after trout or after a judge, <laughs> his, his first home run was like, tweet. He was like, yeah, good job. Like, call me when you get to 60. And it was yeah, like, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure his phone's <laughs> ringing right now. Yeah, I love but, that. It's, yeah. uh, it's a, man, it's a fun sport. There's just those little intricacies about baseball that just make it, make it fun. And uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it is tough though. It's like, there's so many guys, like I said, I could, you could easily pick Trout. Cause I mean, when you watch Trout swing, his, it's so, yeah. you know, so short and so violent. It's like, and he just, just so bad. I don't know. I can't, I, I'm not, I'm not you. I can't describe all the intricacies of his swing. I just know what I'm watching is incredible. Again, I don't want, I don't need my wife hearing this. And she's like, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, it's just, it's awesome. But yeah, there's so many guys to choose from and I'm sure, well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned Jacob deGrom. That's actually, I think that's, that's actually the reason I reached out to you originally is because you posted something about Jacob deGrom. I, I think you mentioned him, but you were talking more broadly and specifically about um, mechanics. And some mm-hmm. of the different things about mechanics. And I'm like, it's this, this huge long post. And I'm like, man, this guy really knows what he's talking about and understands pitching. And so you kind of alluded to it already, but at what point do you feel like you really fell in love with the art of pitching? Because I think anybody who plays baseball, hitting and pitching, there's like a, there's an art to it. And a lot of people love the game. A lot of people, you know, love watching it. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of baseball, but I don't see the game the same way you do. I don't see the mechanics. I'm I'm not watching it like a like a director of a film would might watch a film where it's like I'm seeing a film for what it is. You're seeing behind the scenes. You know what it takes to get to that point. So at what point do you feel like you really fell in love? with the art of pitching. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's tough to point like towards a specific one moment. Um, you know, I've probably been pitching since like eight or nine, uh, you know, just in little league and always liked it, always liked, uh, you know, throwing different pitches and just having fun on the mound. And, and, you know, I, I was, I was a good player when I was young. So I always like felt like I had success and obviously that uh, contributed to it as well. Um, but definitely like once I got to high school and kind of realized like, Hey, you know, I've, I've kind of, been practicing this for a while and my dad, you know, bless his heart was able to pay for, you know, different lessons growing up. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a good pitcher, but you know, there's this, this other guy that kind of randomly came out here that throws harder than me. Like how, how is that? And so that was always kind of something that was like in my mind. And then I think it just kind of, I got blessed with kind of almost like perfect timing where there's been this shift from 
lack of a better term, old age or old school baseball to new school baseball with the so much data and kind of looking at metrics and analytics that they will refer to. Um, but it kind of opened up this door for someone like myself where, you know, if you look at like 20 or 30 years ago, or even in most sports, I feel like there's not a big reason for any big leaguer or, you know, professional NBA player, professional NFL player to listen to someone who didn't even compete at like a D one level. Like why would, why would Jacob deGrom or, you know, like at Optum Athletes, I worked a lot with Lucas Giolito, who's, you know, the ace yeah. of the White Sox. It's like, right. why would he listen to what I have to say when it's just like, obviously he's a much better pitcher than I ever will be or ever was. Uh, but being able to actually shift these analytics and be like, hey, man, we know that X, Y, and Z play at your level and you're doing X and Y, but we need to work on Z. And if we tweak this this much, then you're going to have more success. So, you know, one off season with Lucas Chialito, he his whole goal was to develop a slider because he had one of the best changeups in the game, but he didn't really have a consistent breaking ball. Um, and so we spent the better half of four or five, six months working with a wrap soda that kind of gives you your spin rate and your movement and like a slow motion camera out of hand to kind of see how the ball was coming off and, you know, wasn't moving the right way. Was it not, you know, what, what numbers are we searching for that actually play well? So kind of having that knowledge uh, that a lot of the players don't um, was able to kind of actually give me the opportunity to be a coach. Cause again, like I didn't play D1 baseball. I didn't play professional baseball. So I feel like in a lot of other industries or maybe even baseball 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had an avenue to do what I'm doing now. And so, again, I'm very thankful for the analytics and it's not the end all be all, obviously, like you still have to have the feel of the game and, and the intangibles, but to be able to know and, and study and boost your own knowledge on stuff that actually plays well, uh, I think that side of things kind of made me fall even deeper in love with pitching and kind of have that next level of like, Hey, I can actually have an impact on these people's, all these players career. Um, if I know what's going to lead to them having success. So yeah, I think it was the timing of it. And kind of when I was starting to learn this for myself, kind of towards the end of my own playing career and then obviously started to kind of take over. And now, like if you watch a broadcast, like you'll hear exit velo and, you know, launch angle and all these kind of words thrown out a lot, which you, you never would have heard those 10 years ago watching right. a baseball game. So right. I know a lot of, uh, you know, older traditional baseball fans kind of hate it and it's not the end all be all right. Like you, you can't just rely on analytics at the end of the day. Like if, if a pitch is an analytically good pitch, but you throw it and you sit for a home run, that was a bad pitch. So sure. right. you got to be able to, to marriage, the marriage the two, but um, yeah, just the, the ability to kind of, have the reliable data, uh, take the time to kind of learn it on my end and be able to show someone that is a, you know, throws harder than I ever did is playing at a much higher level than I ever did, but being able to be like, Hey, I, I can confidently tell you if you change this pitch to this pitch, you're going to have more success. So then they go out and they do it and it creates that buy-in. And then now if you want to work on the mechanic, there's nothing, there's that confidence level because they know that like, you know what you're talking about. So being able to kind of have that knowledge and being able to execute that and use that in my coaching, I think made me fall in love with coaching and pitching even more. I love that, man. And it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about there's so many opportunities, you know, that you can kind of stick to stick close to your sport, but baseball, I mean, especially like the way the game's played now, even more opportunities mm -hmm. because of all those different analytics and the, you know, the ways you can stay involved is, is pretty cool. Um, what, what, what I should have asked this earlier, what was your pitch arsenal? And is there a pitch that you would have <laughs> liked to have at, like, if you could just imagine say like, I just know how to throw this pitch now. What, what would it have been? 
Yeah. Uh, throughout high school, <clears throat> I threw a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. And then once I got to college, I pretty much banged the curveball and it was just fastball, slider, changeup. Yeah. Uh, I ended up blowing my arm slot just a little bit. And the sliders played a lot better thrown from here. Couldn't really get on top of a, of a curveball. Sure. Um, man, if there's one I can add, um, I think splitters are sick. I think when you throw one that's very close to the same velocity as your fastball and it just tumbles at the very end, it's just yeah. so hard to hit. Um, looking at, at like the big leagues now, I love like Devin Williams changeup. They call it the airbender, but that thing – actually has negative vertical break so it actually drops more than it should yeah um so i think that pitch would be sick i had a change it but nowhere close to that but yeah <laughs> yeah i'd probably say a splitter okay yeah i had when i was pitching growing up i had a a, a splitter but it, it pretty soon like it, instead of it didn't look anything like my fastball it's just i put it between my fingers and it had a drop but it looked more like a knuckleball and so like at a certain part like yeah it's a little bit more of a forkball and they're like, it's not a splitter. We should probably stop calling it that. I'm like, well, it makes me feel cool when I tell people I have a splitter. But uh, right, once they right, see right. it, like that, that is that is not it. That is not a splitter at all. But um, yeah, it's man, it's wild, especially now. And every you see it every week on Sports Center, Baseball Tonight. These guys who are throwing these pitches and the amount of movement mm. they have. And that's what's so fun. Like I'm sure you've done this a million times. But when you go back and watch those videos of Greg Maddox, the amount of movement. Oh is insane. And you, I got what I always like when I was younger, you'd hear coaches say like, Hey, this is the guy you would want to watch. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's a lot more fun for me as a young kid to watch Randy Johnson, right? Pedro Martinez, these guys are throwing gas and then you see great Maddox. And now you appreciate it more. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, like just insane what he would do. And the way he filled his position insane yeah. too, you know? So, yeah, I think, uh, have you ever spent time on pitching ninjas page? No, I'm going to now though. Pitching. Okay, so pitching ninja, yeah, yeah. His name yeah. is his name's Rob Friedman. He, he created this a while ago. Okay, and just any time that there is a disgusting pitch that is just gross, wicked, filthy, makes yeah. the batter check swing, <clears throat> something that would be considered witchcraft, you know, hundred years yeah. ago. He he, yeah. he posted on on his Twitter, um, but he's posted a lot of current players and also old players, Greg Maddox, all this stuff, and it always makes me laugh because. Greg Maddox was throwing, you know, 88 with the, these balls that were just moving. He could place them anywhere he wanted. Right. And people always use, use Greg Maddox as sort of the pinnacle whenever they have the argument of, like, command is more important than velocity. Sure. And, you know, with, with most of the kids that are coming, like a high school kid, first of all, they probably don't even throw 88 to begin with. So 88 is still harder than they, they throw. Right. And then second, <laughs> it's like your, your, your 88 is flat and you cannot put it, you know, anywhere you want. This guy was having a ball move like this and he could put it on this corner, on that corner, yeah. anytime he wanted. Like he was – he was elite, we'll say. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, Greg Maddox was was fun to watch too. So yeah, I think one of my favorite YouTube videos is uh, when he I think it's a Red Bull commercial or Red Bull video, and they prank Chris Bryant with uh, mm. you know Maddox is basically this camera guy. He's holding the the boom mic, and then the <laughs> pitching coach who was his biggest um, high school or co college is like, I gotta go. And then I'm sure you've seen it before. It's my favorite thing because they have obviously they have Bryant mic'd up. He's like, this guy's curveball might be better than the previous guy. <laughs> And then you can see him start getting frustrated. Like I gotta get a hit, I gotta get a hit off of this this boom mic guy, and yeah. then they reveal it. It's, it's pretty fun. Like I love I love stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah, just incredible. I'm gonna follow that pitching ninja for sure because mm -hmm. I because I love that stuff. Um, so got a couple more things before we get you out of here because like I said I'll try to keep it around 45 minutes. Um, some stuff off the field, man. Because I could talk to you about baseball. I could pick your brain about. I could just go through. 
uh, like why the giants are having a tough time this year. Like I can just pick your brain about all this stuff, but we're going to shift it a little bit. And obviously, you know, like you had mentioned before, you and I, um, had probably crossed paths and, and some of the people we know are because of, uh, events like character combine evening of dreams, things that are, that are community driven, especially like evening of dreams. And I remember you, and I remember also your dad was a big part of, uh, evening of dreams. Mm-hmm. He was the MC for uh, quite a few years. How important is it for athletes, high school athletes, college athletes to be involved in there? Cause we're called, we're called home team for a reason, right? Like we all compete against each other, but at the end of the day, if your goal is to use your platform to make the people around you better, your community better, your schools better, like we're all a part of the same home team. And so why is it so important and so crucial for athletes to, to be aware of how they're acting, to be aware of how they're, they're kind of moving throughout their community and, and to take that seriously rather than just kind of brush it off. Like it's not a big deal. Like how important is it to be involved in your community and take that seriously? Yeah, man. I think there's, I mean, there's so many things you can say about this. Um, and the first thing that kind of comes to mind is, is right now is, uh, actually like suicide prevention month. Right. And you truly never know like what someone is going through. And there's so many stories out there of, you know, someone being like this close to, to ending it and just one person went out of their way to even just say, Hey, how are you doing? Or hold the door open for them or just some small gesture that in the grand scheme of, of that person's day meant not, what does, it, what does it take for me to hold the door open for someone two seconds? Right. But if that, save someone's life? Like, is it worth it? Hmm, let me think about it. Of course. And so you never know when like a small token or a small action is going to have that great of an impact on someone. And especially for athletes, I mean, uh, this might be a little stereotypical, but you know, athletes are usually kind of like on the cooler side, popular side uh, in their, in their classes, in their schools. And I looked up to and kind of set, set the stage or kind of set the model for how people should act. And so when they show humility, when they help someone, when they are not afraid to be vulnerable, whatever it might be, they, without saying it, they're making it okay for other people to do it as well. And so, you know, if you are a captain of the football team at a school with a thousand people and you do something as small as like open the door for someone, there might be 500 people looking at you. They're like, oh, I'm going to do that now uh, just because like it's cool to do. It's not like frowned upon to have manners. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, it's impossible to obviously cover every single scenario and every single situation, but you know, when I was talking about my, my three passions in my first job, like helping people was just such a huge thing. And it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like a big reason we are put on this earth is to make other people's lives easier and to do what we can. And when you meet someone that is truly like inspired, you know, embodies that I, I believe, you know, Kevin Bracey does that and, uh, Jason Harper. And I'm sure you, even though we don't know each other that well, it's just like, that's someone that you're almost just drawn to and you're like gravitate towards and you're just a joy to be around. You're just kind of like everywhere you go, kind of like touching like the Midas touch, but it's the Midas touch for joy, happiness, uh, politeness, people enjoying their lives here because at the end of the day, you know, we're all not going to be here someday and we never know when that is. And, you know, I, I haven't even been out of high school 10 years and there's three, it's probably more, but three, four, four, people come to mind that uh i went to high school with or were you know a few years before or after me that are no longer alive and hmm. for different reasons and yeah. the most recent was was spencer webb uh who was a football player up at oregon and a uh, really talented kid and, and i didn't know him personally but we had mutual friends and it's just like you know how do you know that the last conversation you have with your friend or the last conversation you have with your mom or your dad or might not be the last so make sure that you make the most of it and always do what you can to uh, leave the space you enter better than 
when you when you arrive. So Love I know that. I kind of that was kind of a round of, roundabout answer, but no, no, not at all. That was a perfect answer, man. In fact, we could drop the mic right there, but I'm not going to because I got two more questions <laughs> for you. Um, uh, so let me just ask, just very simply, do you ever want to go back and or do you ever want to go into coaching, like having your own team, or are you good with where you're at with the specialization of you know performance coaching? Yeah, man, that's a tough question. Um, when I first graduated college, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to be in the private sector forever." Like, I love this. Like, yeah. I show up, I show up to work in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. I'm in a gym. Like, awesome. I'm helping guys throw. I'm able to have kind of basically full control over my athletes. Uh, and just kind of thinking about like a team setting, where, at least at the time, I was like, "All right, if I have a 15 pitcher staff and." Uh, we were getting ready to throw, but then like, oh, wait, we got to go do bunties or we got to go shag for the hitters. There's, you're just kind of handcuffed. People got classes or they got homework. And so at least in the jobs that I've had so far, it's like, if you're coming here to train, like you're seeking us out, you're giving us like your body and you're giving us your attention, like you're ready to learn. And so I've loved that. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I mean, never say never. Sure. I, I think that there is an alert or to having a team and kind of having a name across your chest, especially if it's a, a college or, you know, a pro team or even a high school team and kind of having like a common goal of winning and going through the trenches, whether it's 6am workouts with those guys or seeing someone come in as a freshman that, you know, might be throwing 80 or might not be that good and working with them for three or four years and they become a contributor their senior year. And then maybe as a team, you guys win playoffs or something. And so it's, Definitely something that I'd be open to. Um, I definitely love my job right now. And I think I'll be out here for at least another year, if not more. Um, but like I said, I think I will get back to Sacramento at some point. And if, you know, if there's a job that, that fits and, uh, you know, it's, it's mutually beneficial, then I definitely would be open to that conversation. So we'll see. That's awesome. I'm sure there's some baseball coaches listening right now that their ears <laughs> definitely perked up. There's going to make a little, little mark here. And it's like, yeah, just in case he comes back out here, we got our eyes eyes and ears ready because we would, would love to have be part of our team. So that's awesome, man. Last question. And you, I, I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, just a couple minutes ago, but I'm going to ask you this anyways. Um, it's one of the questions we like to end on, but obviously, like you said, you said it best, we're only on this earth for so long. And at, mm -hmm. at the end of it, you know, for everyone, there's an end at some point. That being said, what, what kind of legacy do you want to leave for not just your home team here in Sacramento, but just, I guess, the legacy of baseball, your family, like what kind of legacy do you want to leave when it's all said and done? Man. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, just, I, I mean, I want people to, I would just say, feel like not that they're a better person, but that they're in a better mood or that they took something away just from interacting, whatever that, whatever that might be, right. It could be something as small as I made them laugh with a joke, or it could be something like, man, this guy gave me a, a cue that helped me throw 95, like, or anywhere in between. Right. I think just having a positive impact when you like boil it down is probably the most important thing. And that can look in many different ways. Again, it could be something as small as having a conversation with someone that's lonely. It could be something as big as helping a big leaguer, you know, develop a slider that he then uses in his no hitter that year. Like there's, there's everywhere in between. Right. So I don't know if I have a specific one thing that I want to be my legacy, but just continue to try to live the life that I think I should be living. And hopefully as a result, I help people, I make a positive impact and people feel like they can come talk to me about anything and that they enjoy their time talking to me. 
I love it, man. I love it. Well, we appreciate what you're doing. Uh, we appreciate you know everything you do on social media and just the positive influence and all the information you're throwing at everybody, man. We appreciate that. It's fun to follow. That being said, if if someone's not following you yet, where can they follow you on social media? Where can they follow Tread? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my personal is I'm still Lucas. I believe that's it for all of them. You know, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> pretty much anything you guys got. And I believe Tread. If you just look up Tread Athletics, they're pretty much on everything as well. I think Perfect. their Instagram is their most popular right now, but they have a lot of longer bits. If you are a specific baseball person and are looking to dive into a 30 minute podcast, you know, with, with Ben Joyce or with whoever it might be, those are on YouTube with the shorter bits or on Instagram. Awesome. Perfect. One last question before we get out of here, man, because I know this has been a big topic recently, especially what's going on. Aaron judge going to be a giant next year. Oh man. We'll see, man. We'll see. I was, uh, I don't know. I had, I, I thought for a second they might get one soda and then he ended up uh, being a Padre. So that kind of, that kind of rocked my core a little bit. It, hurt, but, it hurts for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think if, I think if judge wins an M- the MVP this year, which again, it's like him or Otani, it's a big debate. Uh, I mean, sure. we haven't really talked about it, but Otani being able to throw as hard as he does and pitch that we, the way he doesn't hit the way he does. I don't know how he's not the most valuable player because he's basically two players in one and you can't beat that. Right. But, that being said, Judge is having an unbelievable year. But if wow. he wins the MVP, yeah. I just don't see how he doesn't stay a Yankee. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I think the I think the Giants uh, the Giants have some other issues to solve first. So <laughs> that's what I've always we'll said. I'm like, I don't know. I, I would love it. It sounds fun, but at the same time, you know, I just like to win. So they need to figure some things out for sure. This has not been Very a fun true. season. So um, you know. What can you do? That could be a whole nother podcast. Maybe we'll have you back on just so we can, we can rant about that, but it sounds good. sounds good. All right, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it again. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, I mean, we appreciate you just being a role model for our home team here in Sacramento, man. We appreciate it for sure. So uh, we will talk to you later and good luck with everything. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely.